The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is going on, Bills Mafia? It is your host, AJ Sabalski, with another edition of AJ's Analysis. I am joined today by Matt Perino. Matt hosts the Shout Buffalo Bills podcast over on YouTube and many audio platforms. He's a Bills beat reporter for Syracuse.com, and you can find him on X at Matt Perino. Check him out on Buffalo uh, Buffalo Kickoff Live on Channel 4 for on game days. Um, good friend of mine. Matt, how you doing today? Good, buddy. How are you doing? Good. I'm uh, ready to break down some Bills versus Cowboys. The Bills were able to get a big victory on the legs of James Cook, 31-10. Uh, to 10. Let's start there, uh, Matt. AFC Offensive Player of the Week. 25 carries, 179 yards, one touchdown. And then in the air, two uh, receptions for 42 yards and a touchdown. 221 total yards and two total touchdowns from James Cook in this one. Just the, the thought on his performance and what it means for the Bills down the stretch here. Yeah, like I think <clears throat> we've been kind of building to this with James. Uh, he's had a really good last month, even with a couple of mistakes baked in, right? The fumble. Uh, a couple weeks ago on the first offensive play uh, of the of the game. can't remember who they were playing. And then he had a um, big drop, which would have been a touchdown, I believe, in the Eagles game. And I think through that, you, you've seen this level of confidence emerge from James Cook through some of those shortcomings. And he is just playing at a level that we haven't seen a running back play at maybe since Fred Jackson with the Bills. Uh, over a decade ago, but certainly looking very much like uh, Thurman Thomas. I, w- I went back and because Thurman Thomas, people don't remember, especially younger Bills fans, how elite of a pass catcher he was. And to me, that's what separates James Cook and kind of puts him into that Christian McCaffrey um, range. Now, obviously, he's not Christian McCaffrey yet. He's a very young player. Um, but what he can do on the field and what he means to your offense, I feel like we're starting to see what Brandon Bean envisioned when they drafted him. And I think the biggest takeaway for me from that game was just the dominance up front by this Bills offensive line. You know, they're they're playing, what, 900-some-odd snaps together this season. Um, that is very rare in this league. And I think you're starting to see um, the fruits of that, like the, the, the continuity that's been built up, playing together. I think Spencer Brown is having – an absolutely tremendous season. Um, you know, you look at just the overall uh, offensive uh, run blocking grades. If you go over to look at uh, pro football focus and Spencer Brown comes out of that game with a 92.9 
running block run block rate, which is, you know, you think about where he was a year ago and he's in a completely different place in his career. And, you know, slowly getting into the conversation uh, uh, among like really good tackles in the NFL, which, you know, it's one season and you, you want to put everything in its prop, proper perspective. But, you know, if they're going to run block the way that they did against the Cowboys, I think it changes the dynamic of the offense. Yeah, that was exactly where I was going to get to next, this offensive line. Uh, and by the way, James Cook, you know, I think I, I have the question written down here. Is he becoming elite? I'll just answer that myself. I think he's on the brink. I think the scheme allows him to be utilized more. Obviously, Ken Dorsey had some trouble getting him involved consistently. I think Joe Brady's done a good job week in, week out to kind of stick with him and, and get him involved. He's also running routes that you don't really see many running backs. Now, I, I will say, like, that touchdown, yeah, it was a simple. It was a simple play. Gabe Davis cleared out on a post route, and he like he front pylon. But that's a play like using his hand, snatching the ball off the ground like that, with the ball kind of like going down towards the turf. That's a catch that you know a lot of receivers would say that's a pretty good catch. So James Cook, like you said, Matt can do it in the air and on the ground. Let's get to this offensive line: Deion Dawkins, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morris, Osiris Torrance, and Spencer Brown. Not to get ahead of ourselves here, but this offensive line will probably be injury. You know, if they don't suffer any injuries on um, this, this offensive line might be back next year at the same exact unit. So there will be some continuity there. Best pass blocking unit in the NFL, uh, according to Computer Cowboy. Give them a follow over at MB Baldwin. They've been there all year. Like I thought it was the first two weeks. I thought, well, why are they, you know, I didn't really think that they were going to stay there all year. They're still there. Uh, and it's pretty incredible. Josh Allen in this pressure this week mentioned Deion Dawkins and his approach this year and how he's kind of taken a different approach now that he's way into his career, which is kind of hard to do. Is Deion Dawkins for you, Matt, having the best, his best season as a bell, like Josh, you know, kind of reiterated this week at, uh, at the press conference. Without a doubt. And that's what made last season. So hard to understand because I felt like in 2021, that last 10 games, like remember Dion de dealt with um, COVID that year, multiple times. And so, you know, he was fighting through that the first part of the season, but as they got to like the Tampa Bay game, I felt that he went into a kind of a zone that was probably the best football that he's played in his career. And we didn't see any of that last season. And the more I've kind of dug into this thing, you know, it's, it's been a adjustment to the techniques that Aaron Cromer teaches uh, the Bills offensive line coach. And so Roger Saffle, I remember having a conversation with him at the end of last year, and he's like, wait till you see this unit next year. You're like, year two of Cromer changes everything because everybody has an offseason to really study what they did on tape technique-wise, make adjustments, and then come into camp and really double down on everything that they learn in year one with Cromer. And, you know, he was like an oracle. I mean, this has been, I mean, there, there's been Osiris Torrance who's new to the scheme. And I, I think Connor McGovern is, his success is really interesting because this is his first year with Cromer, just like Torrance. And I think those two guys, for the most part, have been really reliable. But I think it helps to have the other three guys that played in the scheme last year that can kind of help um, solidify things. And I, I asked Spencer Brown uh, after the Cowboys game about Cromer, and he said, Man, he's the best offensive line coach I've ever had from a technique perspective, the way that he teaches, the way that he invites you into the process. Like he just had rave reviews for what Cromer has meant to this team. And, you know, Deion Dawkins, to me, he's looked this whole season 
He's only allowed one sack all year, like the guy that we saw at the end of 2021. And I think he just needed a little time to adjust to a new scheme and a, and a, and a new way of doing things. Um, he's the 22, uh, 22nd highest graded tackle in football. And to me, that's about where he, he belongs, like in that like Pro Bowl kind of conversation. And he's having a really solid season. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever be an upper, upper, upper echelon uh, guy. But this year, Matt, I agree. He has had a lot of success in both the pass blocking and run blocking game. Obviously, the pancake that Kyle Brandt, everyone's talking about, got the he got the scepter. Um, him and James got the scepter from Kyle Brandt this week. So another just dominating one thing to double down on that, though. Um, like if you take a look at tackles in the league with 500 snaps or more, Dawkins kind of pops up to 17. So if you think about that and you extrapolate all the left tackles out of that group, you know, he's in a group of probably seven or eight left tackles uh, among the best in the NFL. And that's what, to me, he was at the end of 21. So I think that's, that's massive. And his health sneaky. Like, I think there's a lot of guys on the bills offensive line that are important, but Dawkins health is as important as anybody's. And he's been an iron man for the bills since they drafted him. He has not missed much time. That is a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. I mean, look around the league. You know, um, I remember last year, uh, Slater from L.A., he goes out, misses the entire season. Um, Lane Johnson had a year the, a couple years ago where he was banged up. You know, Deion Dawkins has played through so much over his career. I mean, you, you can't say enough about that because if you lose him, that changes the entire dynamic of this thing because now you're looking at maybe Ryan Vandemark at that spot. And the drop off there, as good as Vandermark looked in training camp and preseason, is is vast. Yeah, even like a Teron Armstead, you see what the Dolphins are have been without him. They have struggled, and his health has been critical. And like, like you said, Matt, Dion has been a guy that has been consistently healthy. And there have been a lot of fans, or some fans, I should say, not a lot, some fans that have critiqued him in tra- training camp and how prepared he is, and to come out. And, you know, in the sixth, seventh year of your career, playing your best football, I think that shows a lot about what he does to prepare and his ability to continue to succeed. I want to move to the snap counts for this game, and I want to look at three position groups specifically, just because this is an astonishing kind of thing for me, uh, looking at the game in this Bills-Cowboys matchup. I'm going to start with the wide receiver room. Gabe Davis led the wide receiver room with 49 snaps, 72% of the snap share. Trent Sherfield comes in at 39 snaps at a 57% snap share, his, his highest all season. Khalil Shakir, 33 snaps at 49% snap share. Stefan Diggs, 31 snaps, 46% snap share. So he's less than 50% uh, snaps, Stefan Diggs. And then Deontay Hardy, only two snaps, 3%. So what do you make of this snap share, Matt? Like, is this kind of just like, we're going to run the ball down your throat and Stefan Diggs, we don't really need you as much. And Deontay Hardy, you're kind of just solidified as this punt return guy, gadget guy that can come on for a few snaps a week. And that's kind of this kind of role that's happening with Brady. A little bit. And I think that like Hardy's kind of like a break glass in case of emergency type of guy. Like, you know, if game's not going well, like we've seen it this season, there's been two games where the bills needed a big play and they threw a curveball at a defense. And even um, I think it was the chiefs game. It was a third and long. And Deontay Hardy comes up with that huge catch on the crosser across the middle. Like, you know, he's not a part of the, you know, consistently a part of their offense, but I, I like that in their back pocket for when they need it. Um, I think Davis and Sherfield, when they're out on the field together in 12 personnel with um, Hart or Kincaid and not Dawson Knox, I, I feel like that's their best run look. 
Um, and I think if you go back to training camp, like you could do so many things with that because Sherfield can motion, Gabe Davis can motion. They're both great blockers. They can both be used in the pass game out of those sets. And then you also have Kincaid and Knox. I feel like it puts the defense in a bind a little bit to, to try to figure out what to do. Um, you, you could really start setting up some play action out of that look later in the season. So I, I think you're going to see more Sherfield as the, the season goes along. And I think it's interesting. This is the first game since week four against the Dolphins that um, Gabe, uh, Gabe Davis played less than 80% of the snaps. So I think that that's a confidence level in, in Sherfield. And, and, you know, when they're sometimes there, he was on the field, even when Davis wasn't out there. Uh, I think that's a piece of it. And then the, the digs piece, I think they were just running it so much. Why uh, put him out there and, and have him grind through that? Uh, the game Davis conversation this offseason is going to be so interesting. I mean, you look at his season, 200 yard games, uh, another game at 90, another game at 87. Uh, and then you got a couple of uh, offers. I mean, the Jets, he didn't have a catch. Kansas City, Dallas didn't have a catch. I mean, crazy uh, development here. And, and and you could sense the frustration with with Davis. I mean, he was the first out of the locker room on Sunday. Um, probably not thrilled about that. Now they're winning and their and their offense is kind of coming together. Uh, but we'll see how this looks at the at the end of the season. Um, and Shakir, I, I think that he's going to be a, a matchup driven play. Like you know, you're going to utilize him more in games where you feel like you can put. Uh, this a, a team secondary in a bad spot uh, out of the slot. And uh, he kind of comes up when you forget about him, right? Like I remember in the playoff game last year against the Bengals, he probably had one of the biggest offensive plays of that game that set them up in the uh, red zone for that touchdown. So um, I think it's going to fluctuate. It's going to be game plan specific. And I don't think Joe Brady's afraid to shake things up from a personnel standpoint. He's proven that over the last four games. Yeah, Joe Brady's done a great job. Uh, yeah, and with the Gabe Davis conversation, like you said, Matt, it's going to be interesting because I, I for one, thought that if Gabe was going to get extended, it was going to be before the season. Now they're at the point where, like, has he had a good enough season to get the money he wants elsewhere? Um, is he a guy that's going to – like, Alan Lazard comes to mind for me last year. I know he's having a terrible year with the Jets, and that's kind of a whole – the whole Jets – the whole Aaron Rodgers thing is just – I can't uh, – it's just unbelievable the story, but he's just he got Alan Lazar got eleven million um, for the from the Jets. So is that like Gabe Davis Gabe Davis territory for you? Are you looking at like a ten to twelve million dollar no. contract for him? No, you think less. No. Yeah, uh, Lazar got that because uh, he gets a Christmas card from Aaron Rodgers every year, so he took care of his buddies and whatever. I mean, get get what you can get. I don't think Davis is in that in that realm. I think he's been a little bit too inconsistent, and really. If we're talking about Davis, we're talking about one game that I feel like puts the the ceiling on his potential that he's never really been able to kind of live up to consistently. He's had some big games. Like he was really good in that Steelers game last year. Remember those that unbelievable catch against Minka Fitzpatrick down the seam? But I, I just think that he's going to probably land somewhere in the six to nine million dollar range. Um, it could be in Buffalo. I do think that they have to prioritize the position in the draft high in the draft um, because Stefan Diggs is on the wrong side of 32. I mean, you got to start really replenishing the cupboard uh, for Josh Allen, get some rookie contracts in here. I mean, I know Brandon Bean says you don't want to get Jamar chase because you don't want to be high enough to draft that guy, but you know, you can get a Jamar chase like esque player late in the first round, sometimes in the second round. I mean, AJ Brown was a second round draft pick. 
um, DK Metcalf, second round draft pick. They got to get um, a dude in the draft this year. So I'd imagine that the scouting group has been hard at work trying to figure out who are the dudes in this draft, who, who are the bills going to be in range to kind of go after and then really prioritize that position in the draft. And that means not bringing back Gabe. I mean, it's interesting too. Like you might have to consider he was a captain this year. He's been the number two the last two years. How is he going to fit into the picture with a brand new high end wide receiver that you draft Diggs, who demands all this, um, uh, all these throws. And then Dalton Kincaid, who is only going to probably take another step up next year. There's just so many balls to go around in this offense. So, uh, I think the numbers would have to be right on the bill side to consider bringing him back. Um, but it's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. And Shakir and James Cook and Dawson Knox. So like you said, there's a lot of miles to feed on this offense. I want to move to Josh Allen's performance in this one, seven to 15, 94 yards and two touchdowns, zero turnovers. So he ends his nine game interception streak. Uh, at the end of the game, or once Kyle Allen went in in the fourth quarter, I looked up. I looked this up because I was just curious. This is the first time he hasn't gone over the 100-yard mark since his rookie year went, went in a games where he's at least had 15 attempts. He made a new a, a few nice throws throughout the game. I thought, like he does, like I said, he does enough to get the job done in this one. Kind of a complimentary piece to James Cook. Not like the, is this closer? The question for you is: Is this closer to the Josh Allen you want to see? But do you want to see? less reliant on Josh Allen. And do you think that means that's better for the Bills moving forward? Um, No, I, I think that I'm fine with the version of Josh Allen that's played in most games this season. Like, I think that, you know, what people need to do around him is step up and make plays. And when guys make plays in the offense, I feel like it, it ends up skewing towards what we saw on Sunday, where he maybe not doesn't feel like he needs to do as much. But there are some games where he needs to do that as much. He needs to do everything that he's that, that he's uh, kind of been criticized for to try to put the Bills in a situation to win a game. I mean, if he doesn't play the way that he does against the Eagles, they're not even in that game with the way that the defense kind of struggled in the second half. So, no, I think it's a game-to-game situation. I think you want Josh Allen to be um, him, um, himself. And, you know, I think Joe Brady has a really good feel coming right from – the quarterback room with him the last year and a half of how to put him in a, in a, in a spot to be successful. And, you know, man, is he, he's like the biggest cheerleader for Allen. And I think that that's good. Like, I think that that, that reinforces him all the time. I think that's the kind of dynamic he had with Dable a couple years ago. Not that he didn't have it with Dorsey, but it's fresh. It's new. They're having a lot of success in this. So I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to get in the, uh, the space of asking Josh Allen to change who he is. Um, I think they went a little bit too hard on that in the off season with don't run, don't run, don't run these. He's got to run a little bit. He's got to, he's got to be at least allowed to operate like Josh Allen operates. Otherwise he's not Josh Allen anymore. So I'm fine with either version. And even in a game Matt, where he only had 15 pass attempts, it's still when he did have the opportunity to make a play, he still used his legs. He was still carrying tacklers, um, doing Josh Allen things. Now, final question before I have a couple things to flip to on the defensive side of the ball. Listen, I I'm gonna break in here and just say we got to figure this out with the with the ring light in the sun in the glasses. I can't see your eyes. Are you looking at me? You making eye contact? That's why it's audio. That's why it's audio. This is gonna be it's on video. Like and when I turn on this lamp, it's all like, uh, it, uh, like I, uh, oh yeah, you're popping, dude. This gotta be your new profile picture. 
<laughs> I saw the one got, like your, three eyes there. Like I'm like I saw the one that your father in law took of me, and I probably won't change that. It was a good professional photo. So nice. Um, all right. W- one more question for the offensive side of the ball. Does Joe Brady deserve to get the interim tag removed? Yes. Um, we talked about this a bit on our show, and I think the challenge to that is there's probably gonna be a negotiation involved there. Like, you know, he's come in and the results have been unbelievable. So I'm I'm sure that. Brady wants to probably come to the table and figure out what his deal is going to look like. And um, he's probably on a two-year deal, I would imagine, as the QB coach. So he's under contract through this season. So I think that that kind of muddles things up a little bit. But in terms of, like, the future for this offense, like, I don't think that Sean McDermott is considering a a different approach. He's got a good relationship with Brady. Um, There's a reason he went to him. Uh, when he did. So I think it's only a matter of time, but yeah, I think calling him the interim OC is kind of disingenuous at this point. Like I think they're all in on Brady. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right. Defensive side of the ball, two things. I'm just going to combine them. Teron Johnson held CD lamb. Not, I'm not saying that, that he was against him ever, in every situation. I also think lamb got some receptions in garbage time, seven catches for 53 yards. And then also I want to have the conversation about Sean McDermott. I criticized him. I think a lot of people criticized him um, throughout this season. He comes in at six and six coming off a of bye week with all the distractions, the article, uh, the, the Von Miller stuff that, that went down. Aaron shots DVOA. It's an analytic advanced metric weeks one through five. They were the sixth overall defense. Then went Matt Milano and Daquan Jones went down week six through 10. They were the 32nd ranked defense. So they went from sixth to 32nd, but now from weeks 11 to 15, they're the fifth overall ranked DVOA uh, defense from that week, uh, from weeks 11 to 15. And now they are the 10th overall defensive team in DVOA. So when you look at it, when Milano and Jones went down, the defense really struggled. Now it looks like they've kind of found an identity. Terrell Dodson's been coming really into his own here. A lot of people wrote McDermott off. A lot of people thought that he was going to be the guy uh, that was going to be considered to be moved at the end of the season. I think a lot of people thought the Bills would be at a seven and seven, six and eight situation right now coming out of the bye week, just because of the fact that it just didn't look good and they weren't able to find any identity. Um, So I just want to say like Sean McDermott, I think has earned himself at least another season. And I think that with all this, all the stuff about him that came out and all the distractions and stuff like that, I think he's done a really good job. Yeah. And so no matter how low things got there, um, in the struggles, I was never advocating for him to be fired. Like, yeah. I think sometimes we get a little hyperbolic in the way that we look at things in a, in a Super Bowl window and in a season with expectations like this. I, I've been ultra critical of Sean at times. Like, there's been moments in games where just it's been head scratching. Like, you know, he's got to wear that Denver Broncos loss. Like, that was on him. His defense has to wear that New England Patriots loss. And we're not in talking about this situation that the Bills are in right now, if not for those two games. So he's got to wear that. But those numbers that you just rattled off, I mean, really think about that. The entire complexion of their defense changed after five games. I mean, to lose Milano and Daquan Jones, who were arguably the two most vital pieces of their defense, to have to reinvent themselves, to have to figure it out on the fly, the trade for Rasul uh, Douglas, who I think Brandon Bean should get some um, credit for that, huge in, in, in a trade that as we've found out the, the Green Bay Packers didn't want to make and they're in a playoff run Brandon Bean took Rasul Douglas 
off of the Green Bay Packers' hands in the middle. Because at the time, they thought that they probably weren't going to be in the playoff mix, but they've won enough games. And they're probably sitting there in the locker room right now. I'm like, that was a heist. How did we How do we lose our one of our top cornerbacks um, opposite of Jair Alexander? So I, I think that's a huge part of it, too. But McDermott is, you know, these last two games, with their season on the brink, with all the pressure – to go on the road and beat the defending Super Bowl champions in a tight game like that, a one-score game, when you weren't winning one-score game for a while, that was a huge moment. Um, and then to come back, everybody thought the Cowboys were going to come into the Orchard Park and steamroll that Bills defense, and they shut them down. I mean, if they make the playoffs, if they make, if they win the AFC East, which I predicted before the Chiefs game, we're talking about Sean McDermott maybe being the coach of the year in the NFL. Like, can you talk about un, an unbelievable swing from where things were at with the narrative on him three weeks ago to what it could be after week 18? It, it's really a wild ride. And listen, I don't – unless there's organizational breakdown, an organizational breakdown where you start to get some of the internal messaging being some of the stuff that we read in the Ty Dunn article – I really don't see the end in sight for, for McDermott's run unless there is another huge calamity of a, of a postseason meltdown of a game. Like, he's gone to the playoffs five of six years. It seems like they're on track to go six of seven. You know, where they end up will definitely be part of the conversation. But I, you know, I don't know if Terry Pagula is at the point. You know, you see him in that one video when Brandon Bean – gave McDermott the game ball and Pagula in the background smiling. I and mean, they're really close. And Sean McDermott's changed what this organization helped change it from what it was before he got here. And I think Terry probably has a little apprehension about probably trying to find that again. Uh, and, and I think that there's also something in this world. I know there's a lot of examples, you know, the Marvin Lewis's, the Marty Schottenheimer's guys that, get to big spots in the playoffs and never can get over the hump. There's, of course, those um, examples. But I don't think any of them ever had a Josh Allen, right? Like an elite, top of the pack, arguably the greatest quarterback in the league at that time, or if not the greatest, that 1B, right? Like Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. You were always talking about it. For a long time, Tom Brady or uh, Peyton Manning was on, you know, a path to never winning a Super Bowl before he did. So – I think that he's got at least a two-year window probably this year and next year uh, to figure it out. Um, and then the, the conversation changes. And I know it's hard because you have to think about, okay, you have Josh Allen in this window of his prime. And if it's not if it's not going to be McDermott, you got to find the guy. But it could also go a completely different direction too. And I know you don't want to operate in that space. It's really complicated. I think that's – that's a long way of saying that this is a really complicated um, situation to manage for Terry Pagula. And, you know, we've seen what's happened on the hockey side of things. We saw what happened on the football side of things before McDermott. Um, it's challenging. Yeah. I, uh, I'm kind of with you. I never, I was hypercritical of Sean McDermott for sure. I, 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 I know you had to be at the, the 12 men on the field debacle and stuff like that. And the Mac Jones drive and all that stuff. But yeah, like you said, Matt, to go on the road, and hold the Chiefs and Cowboys to a combined 27 points. The Cowboys were the highest scoring offense in the league. The Chiefs have taken a step back, but what an impressive response from him, the defense, and just, just the whole team in general. It's, just, it's pretty astonishing that they were able to do this. One more note, 
Leonard Floyd um, gets to 10-plus sacks this year, first mm-hmm. dude since Lorenzo Alexander. Um, Ed Oliver continues to make big plays, and Greg Rousseau continues to be elite in the run game and uh, does a lot of things that go unnoticed besides the besides the sack numbers. Let's move to the Bills' injury update. Daquan Jones' 21-day window opened. Uh, obviously huge for the Bills if he can, they can get him back. Micah Hyde and A.J. Epinesa limited in back-to-back days. Any other injury updates, Matt, as we look here and kind of shift our conversation towards the Chargers? Yeah, I think Ty Johnson's one's the one to watch with the red jersey. I know there's been a lot of people clamoring for Leonard Fournette. And so, I mean, this could be now the, the first week we get a chance to see him. I mean, he's been chomping at the bit to get some action. So um, if they are if they want to take it easy on, on Ty Johnson, who did come back in the game on Sunday with the shoulder injury, but he's been non-contact all week. Uh, I think that's something that, uh, to, that I'm watching out for and to see if maybe this is the first game that uh, Fournette gets elevated and, and gets to play a little bit. Let's move to the playoff chances real quick before we get into Bills Chargers. Uh, this is all according to the New York Times playoff machine. 71% chance right now to make it, uh, 40% to win the division, 31% for a wild card. Division may be the better path. Uh, if they win out right now, they have a greater than 99% chance to make it. There's like one scenario where like someone's saying like 16 games have to go like a certain way for them to uh, get get the uh, – but not to get kicked out at 11 and six. Um, some important games for this weekend, Matt. I know you came out with a great tweet detailing all the matchups. Uh, I just focused on a few of them. Uh, Steelers versus Bengals. Obviously, the Steelers, you want Bills fans in that one. Cowboys versus Dolphins, you want the Cowboys. Texans versus Browns. Uh, you, th- there's like some back and forth with that match. Complicated. <laughs> yeah. I, Very uh, complicated. I first came out with the Texans because the idea that. Um, or the Browns to win because the Browns are a game up already. So if you sit there and think that they're going to get to 11 wins somehow, like you give them a spot, right? So like at least like knock out the Texans. That was my thinking originally. But, you know, uh, Joe B and uh, Atlanta Getzenberg explained, uh, and rightfully so, that if the Texans beat the Browns, that puts them all in the same pot. And then in week 18, the Browns play the Bengals. Bengals and the Colts play the Texans. So the idea is their teams are going to be knocking each other out there uh, at the end. But I think the, the, the big point about all this and not to, you know, steam or railroad your, your segment here, Bills just have to win 99% chance that they make the playoffs. They win out. Uh, I think, listen, if you can't beat the chargers and the Patriots at home the next two weeks, uh, given the circumstances around those organizations, you don't deserve to get in the playoffs anyway. Um, but man, I, I know you said 41% to win the division. To me, it feels higher than that. Like the Cowboys are pissed off and they're going on the road to the Miami Dolphins who have issues on their offensive line. Tyreek Hill is a kind of this, even if he plays, he's not going to be a hundred percent. Those high ankle sprains last for weeks. And to me, if I'm the Dolphins and they don't really have this luxury because of the schedule and listen, if they lose out, there's a scenario where the Dolphins don't even make the playoffs. So they have to be a little bit aggressive. But, man, if you play Tyreek Hill against the Cowboys and he re-injures that ankle and misses the season, their season's over. So that's something that I'm watching very closely. And if the, the Dolphins lose this week, man, does that ratchet things up really in a big way over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be pretty incredible. One more game, Colts versus Falcons for you guys, Bills fans. Obviously, you want the Falcons in that one. But, yeah, the Texans-Browns game is interesting because I am I still am your original thought. Like, I still think I, I think I want the Browns just in case – 
uh, mathematically, if the Bills were to drop a game and go to 10 and 7, if the, if the Browns are able to win, it gives the Bills like a coin flip chance um, to make it if other games go their way. But like you said, if the, if the Browns do win, or sorry, if the Texans do win, then the Bills can get in at 11 and 6, no matter what the, the case may be. Um, so that that's kind of where you, you kind of, if you want to go with the, the, there's that like one opportunity if they went out here with like, there's like 16 games that have to go the right way, but to guarantee it, the Texans win. Um, if the bills went out, they're guaranteed to make it 11 and six. So if the bill control their own destiny, like Matt said, and go 11 and six, um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the path right now. You, do you think there's any really path? I, I've looked at it several times. I've been going through it. Do you think there's any really path for them? I know they're going to have to get really lucky, but 10 and seven, you, you, like you said, you just don't think that they can. They I can mean, I mean, there's it's a, gonna there's be a hard, but listen, all these teams in the mix are are terrible. Like, yeah, they're yeah. not terrible, but like, yeah, they're not elite team. Even the Browns, for as good as they've played, I mean, they rely on that defense and they just keep games close and they just they don't make mistakes. Which credit to them, but they're not some great team that like you know is isn't capable of a couple losses in a row. Like even the Colts, for as well as they're playing, like what's going on with that team right now? They're kicking guys off. DVOA. The they're twentieth in DVOA. Yeah, so it's like yeah. they they've been a benefactor of a pretty easy schedule. So I, I think um, if you want to sell me a uh, uh, a plan that like four of these teams end up at nine wins, I'd believe it. Like uh, none of them are above tanking the end of the season. I guess is is my point. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think there's a lot of teams like the New York Giants of the NFC last year. I feel like that's like what the Colts are. They're just like that team that, you know, they, they won a lot of games that were easy on their schedule and they're able to maybe hopefully sneak in here at the end of it. But let's move to this Bills versus Chargers preview. The Chargers are a mess right now, Matt, uh, coming off of one of the most embarrassing losses of the season, a 63 to 21 um, loss on Thursday night football. Easton Stick now at quarterback with uh, Justin Herbert out for the season. Keenan Allen do not practice two days of practice this, the first two uh, days of practice this week. What would that mean uh, for this matchup if Keenan Allen can't go? Um, it's not good, and I and I really don't think that they're gonna you know if he's dealing with a heel injury that this has been something that extends beyond this week. Like, what's the what's the um push for the organization to play him. I, I feel like they're probably going in a different direction next year anyway. And you have a young player in Quentin Johnston who, you know, with Palmer back and, you know, that wide receiver room um, with a ton of young guys, like why not just play those guys and see what it looks like as you, you kind of continue the valuation on them down the stretch. I, I have a very sneaking suspicion that Allen doesn't play. Um, even if he does play, I think that Easton stick is in, the worst possible situation for his second career start. You don't want to go against Sean McDermott in this spot. You just don't because he shuts down quarterbacks within their first eight starts of the NFL, even high draft picks. I mean, you have the high draft picks over the years, like the Sam Darnold's, the Tua's, all those kind of things that are thrown in there. Um, Even the Justin Herbert, who I think struggled a bit uh, in his first game against McDermott. But, Think about some of those like lower round draft picks and undrafted guys. The one that comes to mind for me is Duck Hodges a couple of years ago who got absolutely embarrassed. Do you remember Duck Hodges mania that was taking over the NFL world? And he goes and I think he threw four picks against the Bills that day, four or five picks. So 
it's going to be a game for Easton Stick that um, they're going to throw a lot of confusing stuff at him. Um, I I really like what I saw last game out of Cam Lewis. I think he, I think Cam Lewis has played well enough this season in the spots that he's been given. It's a small sample size to to be a a, a real viable candidate to be the team's free safety next season um, if they move on from Micah Hyde. Um, and obviously, I always tell people on my show I'm very biased about Cam Lewis because he went to the University of Buffalo, um, but he's played really well. And I, and I think that um, he's a guy that's been in the system for a long time. They, he knows multiple positions. When you know multiple positions, you can think in a way on the field for other positions. And I think that that helps you understand your responsibilities and how to communicate with people playing at different spots. He's played boundary. He's played slot. They still ask him to play slot. Sometimes um, he, he sometimes acts as a hybrid linebacker in some of these sets. So um, he's a really versatile piece. Um, and I think that that whole group is going to put Easton, Easton stick in a, in a world of uh, confusion on Sunday, Saturday. Yeah, it'd be cool to see like a third and long situation on Saturday if they if they can get Hyde back. Maybe a, a Cam Lewis because I I agree with you. I think Cam Lewis, one he's played this year, fearless, great tackler. I thought he had a great pass breakup um, in the win on Sunday or yeah on Sunday over the Cowboys. I would love to see some dime some dime looks with Cam Lewis and Micah Hyde back there with Jordan Poyer at the hybrid linebacker spot, just so Jordan Poyer can play closer to the line of scrimmage. I think at this point in his career, that's where he's. More, he's excelling more at that spot. I, 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 again, he's still a good safety. He made a great play actually downfield on CD Lamb, laid the boom, could have came down with the interception. But again, the, the dime looks that they're able to do with these versatile pieces in the secondary, even a Teron Johnson, you can, I know he's mainly slot, but he, he's so, he can do it all. He's good in the blitz. He can play man. He can do it all. So, um, th- this defense has a lot of interchangeable pieces. And I think, with Taylor Rapp, I thought he's had an okay year. I think Cam Lewis can really push for an opportunity there. Are you worried about the Chargers playing inspired against this Bills team with the new head coach and making it an effort? Or is this kind of like a situation where the, the trap games, because for me, it's out of my head just because I think that the, the Bills are playing. They found an identity on both sides of the ball and the Chargers are kind of reeling. They have a lot of older guys. Um, so what's your thoughts on like the, the Chargers are going to play inspired and they have this new head coach and maybe they can, pull something out, some crazy upset. No, I, I don't see that at all. I think it's a situation where this is a Chargers team that is probably just going to play out the the season. Um, when you lose that way to a bad football team, and that's what the Raiders have been this year. I mean, they're, they're not a good football team. They got a, they got a quarterback that, you know, Aiden O'Connell, who's been barely serviceable for most of his time as in, the, in that role. And you let them go off for 63 points. You make mistakes offensively. And I know it was Sticks' first start, but just some silly stuff. Um, I, I don't see a scenario where the Bills go on the road. But again, this has been a team that you know has had some like what the heck moments this season. So never going to rule it out completely. But I just feel like this is a spot where the Bills go on the road and put a lot of pressure on this Chargers team. All right, Khalil Mack, one of the best edge rushers in this game, probably to neutralize them, kind of maybe something they did with Micah Parsons to kind of neutralize him. One, they kind of just ran the ball a lot, so that, that's something that the Bills could do to stop Khalil Mack from making an impact on this game. And this Bills offensive line, again, like we talked about earlier in the show, is playing 
continuous and doing a lot of really good things for this team. The Bills, fourth in yards per game going into this one at 376.9, sixth in points per game, 27.1. The Chargers coming into this game on offense, 17th in points per game at 21.7 and 15th in yards per game. So they've been an average offense all year. Uh, the Bills, obviously. And that was with Justin Herbert. That was with Justin <laughs> Herbert, yeah. Uh, defensively, the Bills are 12th in yards per game allowed with 312.9 and then fourth in points per game allowed. So they're, they're giving up a little more yards. Um, they're outside of the top 10, but still top five in points per game allowed. The Chargers, different story. Uh, they're, they're a bottom feeder defense this year. 29th in yards per game allowed. 28th in points per game allowed at 24.6. And then something where they really struggle. Um, they're, they're okay against the run. They're an average middle-of-the-pack team. But against the pass, they're 30th allowed in pass yards per game. So is this a Josh Allen game where he can spread the wealth to Gabe Davis, Don Kincaid, Kluge Shakir, uh, Stephon Diggs, James Cook, et cetera, and really put a thumping in the air? Do you think this is going to be a balanced attack? Or do you think it's just going to be, a, you know, like you said earlier, a matchup-based thing, ebbs and flows, and the Bills can are going to be able to do both in a balanced approach? I'm very interested to see what they do with Kincaid because he's been in the red this week. Um, if this isn't a spot where they look to maybe rest him a little bit, uh, let that shoulder heal up. Um, I'm not predicting that he won't play, but um, he played last week. He, he finished the game. Um, he's been practicing in a limited capacity, but um, I don't know. That's just something I'm kind of thinking about. Like, is this a game where you can be a little bit, um, you know, Quentin, Quentin Morris, uh, when he's played this year, I think he's been he's been solid. So I, I'll be interested to see uh, the personnel uses. I mean, if he can go, they're going to play him. So I, I I think he probably does end up playing Kincaid. Um, yeah, I think you, you spread the ball around. I think this could be a game to get right for Stefan Diggs. And I say get right in the sense of like go over 100 yards for the first time since week six. Um, I think that their corners leave a lot to be desired. Um, they're getting some pressure, but I think if you have a plan for Khalil Mack, They've done a really good job neutralizing neutralizing teams' top pass rush option. So if he's not successful in this game, uh, I don't see a, a scenario where this defense has a way to slow down this offense, knowing what they did to a Cowboys defense that was playing pretty well going into last week. Yeah, it started with Max Crosby back in week two when they were able to. That was kind of like Spencer Brown's first test, I thought, as a guy coming off that back injury. Um, and he really excelled, and they were able to neutralize Max Crosby, and they've been able to do that the rest of the year, like you said. Uh, this, well, let's go to the keys of the game. I, I want to give you the key to the game on offense and I'll start with that. And then I'll give the key to the game on defense for the, for this matchup. Oh, okay. For me, the key to the game is on offense is not turning the ball over. I know that's kind of lame and cliche, but like, these are the, those are the kinds of things in this scenario. Like you have to go out and you have to be perfect on the first two drives of the game. And of course you script the first drive and then the second drive, you know, you'll probably be reacting to how they're playing you, but you have to be, you have to get points on those two drives. Cause I think like if you go on the road and you give them very little hope with the way that you come out and you start, that's what changes. And then you don't make a mistake over the course of the game. It, it, it puts you in a position to win. This is a, listen, I know Bill's fans are hoping and some are expecting them to go on the road and just smash the chargers. Like I picked them to win by three touchdowns, but like, you never know. It's the NFL. Anything can happen. You mentioned it a couple minutes ago about like, you know, just galvanizing behind a new coach and all this kind of stuff. Maybe they all couldn't stand Staley and everybody comes out and they're all ready to go and their defense has uh, their best effort of the season. Uh, but if you don't turn the ball over, even if that happens, I think that that gives you a chance to win 
Um, so that's the key to the game for offense. Yeah, defensively, I'm going to go off what you said earlier. Just just giving Easton Stick different looks and forcing him to make his second read, getting off his first read. You don't just want him to get rid of the ball quick. You want to allow that pass rush. Who again? I think the defensive lines again. They they kind of had a lull in the middle of the season, but again, I think they're picking it up here late. Uh, this this defensive line has an opportunity here to attack Easton Stick. The Chargers have allowed 34 sacks this year, so they're a team that's been struggling in that department. Prediction, Matt. Um, what's your prediction for this game? I know you just kind of said it, but I, I just want to exact score and then I'll give mine. The exact score is um, 41 to 10 bills. I had to look it up because I had it written down. I sent it into the BKL crew every week and I didn't want to give the wrong score. So there you go. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a fireworks show for the Buffalo bills uh, out in LA. Yeah, I'm going to go Bills 35, uh, Chargers 14. This is the first time I'm picking the Bills in two weeks. Oh, well, this, yeah, in two weeks. I, did, I picked them to lose to the Chiefs, lose to the Cowboys. So maybe uh, maybe that's a bad sign and the, and the Bills lose a shocker. But I'm, I'm going to go with the Bills in this one and, and, a big, and a big victory over the Chargers. Matt, before you go, um, again, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, for all those who are listening, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You're probably listening to this Thursday night, Thursday afternoon, uh, on the weekend. I'm going to, again, I thank all the listeners that have been loyal and been listening to this podcast, uh, Ages Analysis, week in, week out here in the past month. So, again, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Matt, before you go, the new Wing Lots location opened up. Uh, give me your thoughts. Oh, man, it's special, dude. Uh, first live event, December 30th. I hope to see the host of AJ's Analysis out at the event. Um Dude, I had a – so everybody knows I love Wingnuts Wings. Like, it's one of the, the big reasons why I was so keen on partnering with them and we do our weekly shows there or our monthly shows there. But um, I had their chicken sandwich and their roast beef at the new location, uh, 1402 Millersport Highway, the other night. Dude, changes the game, man. Like, it is going to be a restaurant that just absolutely blows your doors off. And I hope everybody comes out on December 30th. We're going to have a huge party the night before the uh, Patriots game, do a live podcast, hang out. Um, and what's cool is they're open later. So you know, the party can keep going. Like froth closes at 10 on weekends. Uh, I think we're going to be jamming all the way till midnight. So come on out, have a good time, have some beers, have some wings. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I like wing nuts. They're good. But the wing nuts mild, I will say, are elite. I think the wing nuts mild are elite. But I'm excited to try that that picture you posted, that other food there. That looks uh I am very excited to give the other food a try because it did look delicious. Matt. You don't have any French onion soup, AJ. Okay. So don't get yourself your knickers in a bunch. Okay. When you get there and you look at the menu and you can't order three helpings of French onion soup, okay, guy? I love French onion soup. It's uh, it's delicious. Dude, you yeah, get charged up for some good French onion, dude. I remember when that came to the table, man, and you were like, "Let's go, French onion soup, baby." <laughs> Cheese, bread. Um, it's th th there's nothing better. Great broth. I, I, it's the it's the best soup in the game. Uh, Matt, thanks for coming on. Just let the people know where you can or where they can find you and what you got coming up. Yeah, at Matt Perino on Twitter. I don't say X. I'm never gonna say X. Probably. I'm gonna say Twitter until the day I die. Um, that's where you can find everything, uh, at Matt Prino. And then he does his articles for Syracuse.com, New York Upstate. So check them out there again. Thanks for coming on, Matt. And, uh, great show today. We talked Dallas or Bill's Cowboys talked about some Bill's playoff chances, some injury updates from Matt himself. 
Um, and then we looked at the Bills versus Chargers, and then he gave his thoughts on the wonderful wing notes. Go check that out. He will be there December 30th live show. Uh, again, Bills Mafia, thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. I have a pretty uh, – hopefully, I'm trying to set up uh, my biggest guest yet, so I- I'm very excited. Not saying that's not a big guest, but – Dude. This is going to be a big one. Dude. Okay, I've been – mentoring you now for what has it been four or five six years five years podcasting 101 don't preview (laughs) the next week's guest by saying with the current guest on the show by saying i'm gonna have the biggest guest that i've ever had listen that's not a that's not a uh uh arrogant way to say things here uh, there are much bigger guests than you can get <laughs> but for future reference don't do that because that's going to make guests feel horrible <laughs> it's hilarious yeah i uh sorry yeah i, I did i, I did kind of word that wrong but uh yeah no i am having hopefully a nice guest on next week and again matt will be on the show moving forward i'm sure plenty of times and i'll, I'll be asking him to come back as long as i'm doing this so matt thanks for coming on i appreciate it and uh i will see everybody next week